Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hello. Welcome back to the first ever Death, Sex, and Money Audio We Love Festival. I'm Anna Sale, and this is day three of our week-long in-feed appreciation of some of our favorite recent listens. The name for this podcast festival is Audio We Love, which is also the name of a section in our weekly newsletter. If you're not signed up, just text DSM News to the number 70101. And every week, you'll get behind-the-scenes show updates, letters from our listeners, and recommendations of podcasts and radio pieces that we've really enjoyed. Like the podcast, California Love, which we are sharing with you today. Before we get to that, I want to remind everyone that our festival ends tomorrow, Friday, October 16th, with a special live show at 7 p.m. Eastern. I'm going to be joined on Zoom by Tracy Clayton and Josh Gwynn, who are co-hosts of the great new podcast called Back Issue. We'll be getting nostalgic about some of our favorite pop culture moments, and it's going to be a really fun way to spend our Friday evenings. Get all the details and RSVP at thegreenspace.org. That's green with an E. California Love is a show from LAS Studios, hosted by writer Walter Thompson Hernandez. It's part audio memoir, part love letter to his hometown of Los Angeles. This episode is about Walter's mother, Ellie Hernandez, who made Los Angeles Walter's home after she decided to leave Mexico and settle there as a young woman. What did you have for lunch today? Arroz blanco estilo de mi mamá. Are we speaking in Spanish today? Uh, no. I, I mean, I'm cool with that. <laughs> this is my mom, Eluteria Hernandez. Her friends call her Ellie. She's one of my best friends, a big homie, big sister, and so much more. I made rice the same style as my mom used to make it. Usually, you know, when we eat white rice, it's just white. Pero mi mamá will put a little bit of milk and onion and garlic and one chile. And it's really delicious. Not a lot of milk, just a little drop. My mom and I are sitting in her sister's room in Huntington Park. We're in my aunt's room because she has these two tiny white dogs that never stop barking and a blue macaw that never stops talking. There's at least 50 different religious candles around me and pictures of different Santeria saints that my aunt keeps by her bed. There's also the remains of a green apple on the dresser. My mom's hair is almost fully white at this point in her life. And she's wearing these cool pink and black Nike running shoes that I bought her a few months ago. My mother, whenever she felt sad, she will sing. And whenever she was happy, she will have a beer. She was not a borracha, no, but she will have a beer. Really? Uh Uh-huh. And she was an activist. But this isn't just a trip down memory lane. This whole show is about my relationship to this city. And I wouldn't be here if my mom hadn't decided to make L.A. her home, too. It's been a while since we sat down and spoke like this. But it feels like everything, for me, begins and ends with my mom. This is California Love, and I'm Walter. 
about five or four years old and in our neighborhood we didn't have a, an elementary school so all of the kids will have to walk almost a kilometer to go to the elementary school in the downtown area so my mother organized all of the mothers from the neighborhood we all walked from our neighborhood to the city hall, La Presidencia. All of the women were walking, protesting to talk to the president of the, the alcalde de la, del pueblo so that he could build a elementary school in our neighborhood. I was like four or five, but I felt so powerful, so proud of my mom because my mom was the organizer. I was in the front walking with all the kids and the mom. My mom was holding my hand. I felt like my mom is chingona. <laughs> what do you think your life would have been like if you would have stayed in Magdalena? I would have probably now looked really old, have a lot of kids, no husband, Why no husband? Because I, I don't think I will be able to to stay with someone who didn't treat me right, yeah. who was having kids all over town. The only available men in the town were the narcos. So probably I would have married a narco guy, honestly. And probably I would have gotten involved with selling drugs and probably I would have been in jail. A lot of my friends, female friends, that's what they did. My mom was 14 years old when she was sent away from Magdalena, Jalisco. Her older sisters were already living in L.A., and she left to join them. She filled up a light blue suitcase with all her things and left home for the first time. So why do you think my grandma, your mom, why do you think it was important for her to send you to L.A.? so that I could have a better future. She didn't have a happy marriage life, but she was so Catholic. She was so spiritual that she couldn't leave my father. She didn't want that for me. Do you remember the day that you left for LA for the first time? I was sad, and I remember we took a picture. I put on very nice clothes, white suit with white top, very elegant. Because, you know, when you take a plane, you had to dress nice. That was the mentality. Not comfortable shoes, not comfortable dress. No, 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 it was a suit. My father, didn't give me the bendición because he was really upset I was coming to the United States. So I came without his blessing. I lived in Bell, California with my sisters. What was your first impression of LA? A lot of traffic and a lot of people. 
I never seen so many different people in my whole life. So for me, I used to be like Mirona, you know, like looking at people, like to see how they look like, you know, Asian people, people from Africa, Cubans, people from Spain, you know, so they were very different from me and that was nice. I didn't like the fact that I was far from my mom, but I knew that I had to sacrifice that. But it was nice to, I felt like I was wealthy. Why did you feel like you were wealthy? Because only wealthy people will go to a, a different countries to study. So even though I was living with my sisters, I felt like, oh, soy rica. Vine a otro país a estudiar inglés. My mom went to Bell High School, a city in Southeast LA. She was in the 10th grade. I was taking only ESL courses, English as a second language. We used to watch I Love Lucy. That's how I learned English. And it was really interesting to understand the uh, the Cuban guy. How dare you say that to me? Ricky Ricardo. Oh, Ricky. Ricky. <laughs> but, you know, my level of comprehension was a little limited, but I was ready for the challenge. Then I, on my second semester, I got into tennis. And guess what? What, Mom? You're not going to believe this. What happened? I wanted to be a cheerleader. Hold on. You've never told me this before. So you also wanted to be a cheerleader? Yes, because they look so cute with the little skirts and they, they were so popular. And I wanted to follow the Archie, you know, the, the, the comic book. But I was not selected. I was a little gordita. I couldn't jump. And then my English was very limited. Damn. I know. But I still remember one cheer. At the beginning of the world, nobody knew how to, except the eagles. <laughs> wait, 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 no. Is there more? Wait, no wonder you didn't make it. <laughs> nobody knew how to, except the eagles. Wait, I mean, mom, no wonder they didn't select you because you don't remember... The cheers, you know, I'm not mad at them for that. It was 40 years ago, okay? So please give me a break. <laughs> my impression of the American life was Archie. My introduction to the American life, quote unquote, American life was Archie. So for me, being a cheerleader was the biggest accomplishment. Maybe if I have a granddaughter, she will be a cheerleader. When she was a senior, she and a close friend went to see their guidance counselor. They wanted information about how to apply to college. The counselor told us that since we were ESL students, because we were still classified as ESL students, we were better better off going to a trade school. And we left very sad. He wanted to be a doctor. And he said, I'm going to apply to colleges. And I said, me too. We went to the career center and we submitted applications. I was admitted to several schools, but I was not ready. 
my English was still limited and I was afraid to go to college. So I decided to go to a community college, Los Angeles Straight Technical College, right there on Grand and uh, Washington Boulevard. I took all of the courses to transfer because my goal was to transfer to become an engineer. So that's what I did. I played tennis there and uh, I was a very good tennis player. So I met uh, um, a tennis player in, in the team. She's talking about my dad. We became the number one uh, mixed doubles uh, couples in a community college. We fell in love and uh, we were dating and then he went to UCLA. He transferred to UCLA and then I transferred to UCLA. We had a very nice relationship. Our whole uh, life was around tennis, uh, like on the weekends when we were not playing any tournaments. We would play in the um, Huntington Park, Salt Lake Park, and uh, play tennis the whole day. Or we would go to Rancho Park and play tennis the whole day. Being the, the only non-Black around the African, Afro-American, uh, tennis circuit was hard because the girls would look at me like, what are you doing with my man? So it was hard uh, because she's the, I was Mexican. I am Mexican and he was black and he was very good looking. How'd the relationship end? I still remember very clearly when I went to see him at his job at uh, Fox Hill Mall. He used to work in a shoe store. I dressed really nice, muy bonita, muy elegant. I was already three months and a half, four months pregnant. And he said, I know I, I cannot be a father right now. So I said, well, thank you for letting me know. I'm going to have my child. That was the end of our relationship. So my dad says, this is a really simplified version of what happened. And he wasn't around when I was growing up. But we reconnected when I was 23. Stories have multiple versions. But this episode is about my mom. My mom was pregnant with me when she was going to UCLA. She was first studying to become an engineer, but then dropped that major and chose literature instead. So I was taking math calculus, 31B or 31C, <laughs> I don't remember. So I used to sit in the front of the, of the lecture hall because that was the closest for me to like, you know, I could move the, the, the table so that I would fit because I was big. So, oh my God. Every time I was going into this particular lecture, you will start kicking me and moving all over. So I couldn't even stay put in the seat. 
I had to get up and walk around so that you could be happy. Why do you think I was doing that? <laughs> because you didn't like numbers. <laughs> I was like, get me out of here now. <laughs> My mom had me when she was a junior in college and then started contemplating dropping out. We didn't have a lot. We lived in Huntington Park with my aunts and uncles and cousins. Everyone picked up cardboard boxes in the city of Vernon and took them to the recycling center for money. That's how we survived. After you were born, I was on welfare. I was receiving food stamps and all of the benefits from the government. So I decided that uh, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be the stereotype that, oh, single moms are always leaving off the government. So I wanted to, um, I decided that I was going to quit UCLA and just go to work. However, I still remember very clearly I was coming back from, um, I don't remember where I was coming back, but we were in the bus, number 60, coming from downtown to Huntington Park. And it was around three, four o'clock. And all of the ladies, todas las señoras, they will get on the bus really tired and they will just fall asleep because, you know, they were coming out of the factories. And I said to myself, no, I'm not going to quit. To me, college was something that my son was going to be proud of me. And I knew he was going to be proud of me even if I had become a factory worker, but I wanted more. So I decided not to quit and go back, still receive benefits from the government. But as soon as I could, I was off welfare. It was not easy, but it was my goal, and I made it. I'm so proud of you, Mom. You have no idea. <laughs> Thank you, mijo. We moved to the west side in 92 because of the uprisings. And because it was easier for my mom. I wanted to be closer to school and I wanted better schools for you. My whole family was against that idea, but uh, I needed to become a grown up. I needed to be independent. I remember the first night we went to the supermarket in the white neighborhood, in the west side. And you and I were the only brown people in the supermarket. It was late in the afternoon and everybody was looking at us. Or maybe it was just my assumption that everybody was looking at us. So it felt really weird. You were really active with like demonstrations and, and hunger strikes and protests, you know, like when we moved to the West Side. And, and I'm wondering if, if my grandma, you know, if, if her early activism, if that inspired you in any way? Yes, I was very involved with a lot of protests. My friends used to say that if I will see a protest, I will stop and support them, even though I didn't know what the cause was. And I feel like I have always been like that since my mom took me to, to those demonstrations in the Presidencia. Why well, was it important to, to take me to those? 
I, I would take you everywhere. <laughs> what, what else? I didn't have a babysitter. So there was no choice, mijo. No, but it was important for you to to learn about las injusticias out there, social injustice. So it was important for me that you were aware of that. You remember any demonstrations that you took me to? Of course, the most important one, the hunger strike uh, at UCLA. They wanted to, to dismantle the Chicana Chicano Studies program. And all of the students, uh, brown students, black students, American Indian students, the few of them, Islamic students, Asian students, we all got together and uh, organized ourselves. So we left from La Placito Alvera all the way to UCLA walking. <laughs> so there was another group coming from Loyola. There was another group coming from Northridge. And it was so much fun. It was so beautiful to to walk down uh, Wiltshire Boulevard. There is a point in Wiltshire Boulevard when it's a little higher. It's like a little hill. And we, you could look back and see the, the, the waves of people. It was like an ocean of people walking and walking and walking. And, it, you know, when you are in a PhD program, you have to do all of that. Because if you just go there to get an education and you don't get involved, you know, what's the point? What about LA now? Feel special to you? Taking the metro, taking the bus, but especially the metro. That's where I met so many beautiful people. And I also uh, have guided so many parents, moms and dads, how to help their kids in high school, how, you know, I connect with the students. I guide them. I don't even know them, but I'm I'm a mentor (laughs) in the metro. Like a metro mentor. Oh, I like that. Metro mentor. (laughs) MM. I'm an MM. You're an MM. A big reason why I wanted to interview you was because so much of what I know about LA is through you, right? Like it's through the experiences that that you first um, helped me learn about. So I, I felt like it was I felt like it was really interesting to to ask you questions, you know, to to kind of bring it like full circle, you know, like in the sense where it's like I'm really coming back home to like le- learn more about my city, but I'm also coming back home to learn more about you. Well, thank you for giving me credit that you know the city through me. But we never left. We never left Huntington Park. We never left Southeast because I found out that the markets in the West Side were very expensive. So I would come back to Huntington Park to go to the market here. I will come back also because my mother was here at that moment. We will come back on Friday night, stay in the uh, on Southeast for weekend. the weekend. Yeah. And we were able to like come back home and be able to combine the two worlds. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I would be a writer or a journalist if it wasn't for my mom. What parts of yourself do you see in me? You know where you 
what you've been doing lately. And I don't want to give myself credit for that, but I think I, I do deserve some credit. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Because, uh, because of me, you were introduced to a lot of books. That's right, you're right. Okay, so please. <laughs> um, no, 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 I'm just being fine. That was... That was the only thing I could share with you. You know, I could share with you my books. And you could see me reading until late at night. You could see me having conversations with my colleagues from the PhD program. And um, I think that's why you got hungry for books, hungry for words. And I see that part of me. Do you remember me asking you for a college fund in elementary school? <laughs> Mijo. If I'm nine what years old, <laughs> I will still remember that we were in the kitchen. <laughs> we were going to have dinner. You were about eight, seven. And then you said, Mom, do I have a college fund? I looked at you with this big, <laughs> big, wide open eyes. And I said, cabron, hazme el favor. We barely have money to eat hot dogs and you'd want me to have a college fund for you. And I said, where did you get that idea? And you're very innocent. You said, mom, everybody at school We're talking about college fund. I just wanted to know if I have one. Ay, mijo. But I totally understand. You wanted to find out why would you, wouldn't you have a college fund when everybody was talking like, like having a pair of tennis shoes. You know, that was, everybody, everybody's conversation was so normal. But no, our conversations were different. They were not about college fund. They were about survival. And, you know, we had enough uh, food stamps to go and eat and buy the food. Yeah. But it, it, it was cute. I never forget that. What parts about me inspire you? You know, when you turn your life around, to me, that was a sign of... Endurance. Perseverance. Perseverance. That was such a powerful moment. I knew that you were going to go far, Mijo, because you made the decision to change your life. The reason why I changed my life around is because, like, at 14, 14 and a half, almost 15, right? Like, I understood that you made so many sacrifices for me. And I felt like the path that I was going down, you know, I was either going to be dead or in jail. But I also thought about you and I thought about how you felt at 14 and 15 when you came to this country. We were the same age, essentially, right? And so for me, it was really important, you know, to, to think, wow, my mom was, was 14, 15 when she came to L.A. And I'm 14, 15 now. You know, and what am I doing? I felt like I was like throwing it all away. It's very nice how you compare your age at that age when I came to the United States. 
That's really nice. I never thought about that. Did you ever want to leave LA? No. When I compared with the life that I could have had in Mexico, in my hometown, I feel that I'm wealthy here. I I have everything. I have a car. I have a house. I have a job. I have a family. I have friends. I you know I could go to the stores, and I don't have to be uh, super wealthy to buy me things. In Mexico, I would have to be really wealthy to go to the stores. The fact that I have options makes me feel powerful. What kind of options are you talking about? I'm talking about economic options. I'm talking about job options. How do you feel about where LA is now? I wish I could see more, more like what's going on right now with the protest. I wish those things could be implemented. The police doesn't have to treat us bad just because we have a different skin color. So it's different now, very different. Do you still think about the comic book Archie? Of course, it's cute. And sometimes when I want to laugh, I think of Beverly Hills because Beverly Hills was represented in that comic book. It was not South Central. It was not La Puente. It was not Whittier. It was not, no, it was Beverly Hills with those big mansions. So, yes, I still think about that. So when I want to laugh, I think that, oh, Beverly Hills... It's Archie. Has your idea about Archie changed over the years? Yes, of course. Look where I live. <laughs> it's not. Not in Beverly Hills. <laughs> it's not Beverly Hills. I don't have any. We don't have any big mansions on, you know, uh, with big walls around the houses. No, so of course. This is a reality. This is my reality. Sorry. It's our Beverly Hills, right? Yes, this is our Beverly Hills. <laughs> What's up, mom? The older I get, the more I realize what it took to raise me. You had to wear so many different hats, and sometimes you wore them all at once. You were mom, friend, big sister, mentor, father, and so much more. There wasn't a handbook that we followed, and it felt like we were both growing up at the same time, learning from our mistakes, and cherishing our small victories. Sometimes, I think back to those Friday nights, the ones we used to stay up late watching the X-Files and eating pizza. I really miss them. Or I think about the old white Volvo we used to have, the one that was full of my toys. The same one I used to ask you to drop me off two blocks away from school because I was embarrassed of how old our car looked. Mom, I'm really sorry I was embarrassed. There was nothing to ever be ashamed about. The West Side often felt like a distant world and full of strangers who didn't look like us. 
I really miss my friends, Alex, Brian, Matthew, and the rest of our family. I've never told you this, but sometimes I used to cry at night, wishing we had never left. I felt really alone, but I always had you and we had each other. At this age, it's even harder to comprehend what having a child in my early 20s would feel like. I don't know how you did it. Some of your classmates went home for the summer or had internships, but you had me. I now see what you did. And more importantly, your why. I'm so thankful that in this lifetime, we were able to call each other mother and son I'm really thankful you chose to come here because without LA, there is no me. Thank you, Mama. I love you. That's Walter Thompson Hernandez and the episode Ellie of his podcast, California Love, from LAS Studios. I talk with Walter about making this after the break. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale, and this is our Audio We Love Fest. Before the break, we heard an episode of the podcast, California Love, from LAS Studios. And I'm here with the host and writer of the series, Walter Thompson Hernandez, who's joining me from Los Angeles. Hi, Walter. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for making this series. I love it. I, like the, the sense of place that you created across the episodes is just remarkable. I feel very much in L.A. as I listen. Well, well thank you. Um, it is about L.A., right? And it is about like a certain geography and a certain, you know, like um, view of the city that is really intimate to me and personal to me. And and I think like for a lot of us, like especially like my friends and my family, um, we've never really had something like this for us and, and for our version of L.A. You know, like I think this is really removed from from tropes, you know, or from stereotypes about the city. You know, we don't talk about palm trees. We don't talk about the beach. We don't talk about, you know, the Hollywood sort of like walk of fame. Um it's sort of more like, you know, intimate. And it's like really personal to me and to people of color in the city. And I think it's really special. Yeah. Have you ever interviewed your mother before? Or was this the first time? I've, you know, I've talked to my mom a lot, but I've never really interviewed her um, per se, especially, you know, in in a, in a sort of official way. So it was kind of our first time really talking about a lot of these things. You know, my mom and I have a really open relationship and we, we talk about a lot of different things, but a lot of this was was new information, you know? And I was just like so happy and so grateful that she opened up to me in the way that, that she actually did. You know, I think, you know, she's someone who I think over time has has sort of like become more open to me emotionally. Um, and sort of like, you know, as she has gotten older, is more vulnerable physically, you know, and also emotionally. So I think a lot of what she shared to me was really news, you know, and, and, and it was like kind of my first time hearing a lot of it. The the two sentences, or maybe it's just one sentence, the sentence where you just say, 
stories have different versions, but this yeah. episode is about my mom. Yeah. I just thought like you just contained so much about yeah. family and like how you can love people who mm. understand the past differently. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to litigate it every time you talk about mm. it. And just to say like, this is, we're carving out this space to listen to this woman who is my mother. Yeah. Like, I just thought it was really beautifully and simply stated. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that, you know. And, you know, to be frank and, and to be really honest, like I I wrote that because like I also, to your point, you know, like I wanted us to, to both understand that this was like my mom's story, like my mom's sort of universe and my mom's like reality. And I think, you know, in speaking to my father, like my father and I just reconnected when I was 24, you know, so maybe like nine, 10 years ago. And so like our relationship is still forming and I had to, you know, fact check a lot of what my mom said with my father, which w wasn't easy to do, right? Because, yeah. you know, like what I've learned so far in, in this lifetime, right, is that multiple truths and realities can exist, you know, at the same time. And my father had like a version of the story that, that was, you know, aligned with what my mom was saying, but also kind of had his own version, right? And so for me, like, it was really important to not put my dad out there like that, right? Because, like, him, you know, him and I are still sort of working through things and we're still, like, developing a relationship. And, and I also wanted to, to respect him and to, and, to, and to also not make this about, about my dad, but, but to make this about my mom in a way that, like, just allows all of us to understand that the past is really complicated, you know? And, and I think for a lot of us, like, it's really easy to hold on to, to not just grudges, but to, to, to confusion and to, you know, how we understand different events. And, you know, n nobody's perfect. I think like my mom's a really complicated person, um, but there's still so much love and respect that I have for her. And I, I wanted the episode and especially that line to reflect that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I loved it. Um, so Walter, uh, as we, we are talking to podcast makers and writers and producers this week. One of the things that I'm curious to know about is like when you were figuring out what you wanted to make and how you wanted it to sound and, um, you know, what your inspirations were, I, I, I want to hear like what you look to. So um, can you tell me a few of the things that you thought of as creative inspirations for this series and, and maybe this episode in particular? Yeah, definitely. Um, like, I'm not really a, a podcaster per se, right? Like, I think, like, I was entering this project with, like, a different lens, you know? Like, I'm I'm a storyteller, you know? And, 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 and I tell stories using different mediums and formats. But I think in terms of sound and audio, um, what James Kim did with, with Moonface to me was really special. Mm -hmm, the podcast Moonface. Uh -huh. Yeah, it, it, it was just such an incredible show. And, you know, James is also someone who is from Southeast L.A., you know, just like I am. And, you know, just hearing the sort of, like, beauty in that show and how intimate it sounded and how sort of experiential it was and, and how I think, you know, it kind of pushed, like, the limits of sound and, and fiction and fantasy. Like, I really want, wanted California Love to to follow in that vein, you know, but but to kind of make it my own, right? Because, like, like that, 
that show to me is so beautiful and it's like such a perfect show. Um, so I wanted to sort of like, you know, really like allow us to like think about memory, you know, and, and nostalgia. And that was a show that I really was drawn to and really loved and, and, and wanted to, to be inspired by. Hmm. Should we talk about music? What was the music that you thought about when you were thinking about this series? <laughs> yeah. Well, so, um, the theme song, um, is is a song that is inspired by a Tyler the Creator song. Um, mm-hmm. Like I'm a West Coast guy. Like I'm I'm definitely from LA. So most of my favorite music, you know, is like like the Internet or like Sid or or Thundercat or Kendrick Lamar. Like it's kind of like jazzy. It's kind of like laid back. It's it's, it's hip hop derived. It's also like alternative. Um, so I kind of just wanted to to reflect that, you know, and, and I think like for someone who grew up in LA in, in the '90s, like there was like such a strong sort of like hip hop and like rock sort of movement and like alternative movement. So I think our show was was really kind of um, built on that. Yeah, I mean, as you sort of lay out in the prologue. Yeah. As soon as I heard the prologue, I was like, I'm in for this show. <laughs> this show is just like, I'm here for this. I'm here for this. <laughs> it's just so beautiful. Thank it was you. so, yeah, I loved that. Um, and then is there anything else, like, when you think about, you know, not necessarily, like, listening, like, but but just, like, when you started thinking about, like, how am I going to capture what this place, what L.A. has meant to me and and how it's connected to my identity and my family's identity. Like, was there anywhere you could look to be like, oh, like like anywhere else that you looked and thought what they did over there in that medium, I want to try to do in this medium? Yeah. Um, there's a TV show called Atlanta that I really love uh-huh. so much. Um, Atlanta is one of my favorite shows of all time. I think I love it so much because there's no re- really, you know, there's no explaining of of the culture there's no real explaining Mm -hmm. of experiences of events you you know like i feel like oftentimes like historically like folks of color have had to really explain things to white people about our culture you know and you know and and over explain things so i think for me there's something really special about like creating a show um in the vein of atlanta that you know just sort of like presents people's lives in ways that are organic and natural and isn't explaining every word or isn't explaining every experience. You know, it, it just feels really, really nice to not be able to do that. And ultimately, you know, if, if people don't know something, people don't know a word or, you know, a lingo or a term, there's Google, right? Like we all have access to Google. And so I think like for me, I didn't want the onus to be on, on me or us to explain these experiences in LA or anything else, you know? So I think Atlanta for me was a, a, a huge model and it's something that, mm-hmm. um, was really important to watch before making the show. Yeah. There's something very similar about the like way that Atlanta plays with pacing yeah. in the way that your show does too. Like there's a lot happening sometimes and other times it's just like, you feel like you're hanging out, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. No. You know, um, slowing down. Yeah, totally. I think that's such an accurate description. I think like um, our engineers and our producers are so talented and, and you know, um, kind of like did a great job of of structuring like pacing or, or timing of things. I think you know silence is and 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 pauses to me are really important to you know enunciate points and, and you know kind of um, 
I create like a, a certain tension or conflict in, it, in an episode. And I think we wanted it to feel informal, right? Like I think, mm. you know, you know, we, we, we wanted this to feel like a conversation kind of in the, in the audio memoir vein. And we, and we wanted it to feel like I was just like, you know, riding shotgun in, in someone's car, kind of like telling them a story as we drove by a neighborhood. And mm. I think that's what it felt like, you know, it, I think when when people hear me, you know, on in this show, I don't think they 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 really hear you know a a traditional podcasting voice or or, or an audio sound. I think when, when people hear me, they hear a friend or or a cousin or a neighbor, and I think that's the goal, you know. Yeah. Well, thank you, Walter Thompson Hernandez, for California Love and and for talking with us. It's been really fun. Thanks so much. I really appreciate this. You can find all of the episodes of California Love from LAS Studios wherever you listen to podcasts. Walter Thompson-Hernandez wrote this episode of California Love. The rest of their team includes Elizabeth Nakano, Tamika Adams, Arwen Nix, Valentino Rivera, Andrew Epen, Megan Tan, and Angela Bromstad. Special thanks also to Kristen Hayford at Southern California Public Radio. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. Annabelle Bacon is producing our Audio We Love Festival. The rest of our team includes Katie Bishop, Afi Yellow Duke, Emily Botine, and Andrew Dunn. Special thanks to Michelle Shu for her work on this festival. The Reverend John Delure and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death, Sex, Money on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And sign up for our weekly newsletter. Just text DSM News to 70101. And join us tomorrow, Friday, October 16th at 7 p.m. Eastern for the grand finale of our Audio We Love Festival. It's a live event with the co-hosts of the Back Issue podcast, Tracy Clayton and Josh Gwynn. You might know Tracy from her work on shows like Another Round and Strong Black Legends and her past appearances on our show. It's going to be a really, really fun live show. Again, that's tomorrow, Friday, October 16th at 7 p.m. Eastern. We are streaming it on our Facebook page, and you can get all the details at thegreenspace.org. That's green with an I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC.